This episode of Let's Talk About Chef is being brought to you by Vincero Watches. Vincero makes extremely high quality, stunning watches, and at some point along the line decided to cut out the middleman and sell their watches directly to you from their website, saving you a lot of money that traditionally would have been markup cost. Right now, listeners of Let's Talk About Chef can use the promo code CHEF, that's C-H-E-F, at checkout to save 20% off their entire purchase from VinceroWatches.com. That's promo code C-H-E-F at checkout. Before we get started on this week's episode of Let's Talk About Chef, I hope that everyone had a safe and happy holiday and a great new year. That was a very polite and eloquent way of saying that I hope to God all of you survived your families, your kitchens, your hangovers, and working on New Year's Eve. Let's Talk About Chef is back for the year 2020, and we are really excited to bring you episodes every week. If you want to get us a belated Christmas or holiday gift, honestly, the greatest present you could offer is to rate and review the show, or even just tell a friend about the show. Word of mouth is how we somehow managed to be a new and noteworthy podcast in such a short period of time. Listen to tens and tens of thousands of times and also have tens of thousands of listeners every week. Let's Talk About Chef is available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and pretty much everywhere else you can think of to listen to podcasts. That's enough from me. Let's get right into this week's episode of Let's Talk About Chef. It's the first show of a new year. It's the first episode of 2020. A number that still sounds slightly mind-boggling when you think about it. To me, the 90s still seem like they happened not too long ago. The new year is kind of a weird time. We're supposed to celebrate the fact that the year before has ended. Drink champagne, stay up till midnight. If you're a chef, work quite possibly the most busy and annoying service of the entire year. We're supposed to make goals for ourselves. And somehow through the magic of a calendar changing the date like it does every single day, become better people than we were before. We're supposed to do things for the first time. Go to a gym, get in shape, eat healthier, be happier. Start a new business, be better at your old business, and on and on and on. The new year is in reality a time for new beginnings. And for firsts. And so, today on this week's episode, and this year's first episode of Let's Talk About Chef, we are doing just that. Talking about first times in food. The first time things ever happened in our industry. It's great to be back, and here's to 2020. In 1852, the American Civil War was raging. 
Whenever we hear about the Civil War, or any war for that matter, our brains build images of guns and explosions. And that strange tradition, in the case of the Civil War, of a front line of men walking slowly towards another front line of the enemy, who casually mow them down with their guns before it's their turn to do just the same. The one thing that we don't really tend to think about is what these men ate. How entire industries were created to try and solve the puzzle of feeding the soldiers on the battlefield. One inventor and entrepreneur named Gail Borden decided that the men on the front lines needed a way to consume milk. And so after several attempts came up with the idea of canning condensed milk. The idea and product was so successful that the Union Army issued a contract for the milk in cans. And with that, the first commercial canning line was invented. Genetically modified food has quickly become the modern era's version of the boogeyman, hiding in your closet. But what started out as a noble idea by Nikolai Vavilov to try and change the structure of food to withstand floods and droughts and fire to be able to feed people quickly, became used as a method of feeding people high fructose foods, foods that aren't real, and are basically really bad for you. But, the first bioengineered vegetable to be approved by the FDA was a tomato that had been modified to be less prone for spoilage. The tomato was called the flavor saver. It was invented in California with the idea in mind to allow the tomato to ripen on the vine fully, giving it better flavor, and then when the tomato was perfectly ripe, it would be picked and sent to market, its genetically changed structure ignoring the prompts to start rotting. If you didn't know, most tomatoes are picked when they are unripe and they ripen on the way to market with the help of time and only a little bit of chemicals. When the flavor saver was first introduced, it was a smash success. They sold them by the gross to markets everywhere, all across North America. People were excited to try this new space-age delicious tomato, and when they got the Jetsons version of vegetables home and ate them, people discovered that, well, it tasted like a tomato. The demand went down, the company folded, and the flavor saver disappeared. But by having the FDA approve this fruit of science fit for human consumption, it opened the floodgates for other companies to follow suit and use science to mess with food. In 1962, Julia Child was in Boston on their public television station promoting her new book, The Art of French Cooking. She was demonstrating how to make an omelette, and after she taped her segment, she moved on to another city to continue to try and spread the word about her book. Meanwhile, back in Boston, after the episode aired, the station was flooded with letters asking for more of the warm and lovely Julia making food. So the network hired her. And shortly after, the French chef starring Julia Child became the first widely released cooking show ever. The French chef is made possible by a grant from Safeway stores. Vegetables today on the French chef. Carrots, beans, broiled stuffed mushrooms, and braised spinach. That's what we're going to do today on the French chef. French chef, I'm Julia Child. Today we're going to do vegetables the French way. 
One of the things that most amazed and delighted me when I first went to France was... Now it's time for some quick food firsts. About 250,000 years ago, hearths began to appear, a hearth being a fireplace with something to hold a pot or a piece of meat. So humans first started cooking food about 250,000 years ago. 40,000 years ago is when archaeologists assumed people started to eat fish. Scientists found that inside the skeletal remains of a modern human from Eastern Asia that he had dined regularly on freshwater fish, although he probably used a spear or a stick of some kind because the first fish hook wasn't invented until 30,000 years ago. Flour was first milled also around 30,000 years ago. The flour was then used to bake the first ever loaves of bread. In 8,000 BCE, squash was grown for the first time in Mexico, and 3,000 years later, bananas were cultivated for the first time. 7,000 BCE is when farmers in China began to grow rice, and in doing so, they also began to ferment the rice, making alcohol for the first time ever. In 5,000 BCE, cheese was made for the first time in Poland, which is not the place you would normally think of when one thinks about cheese. About a thousand years after that, grapes were grown and turned into wine for the first time. 1,500 years later, humans began to make olive oil, and the Egyptians baked the first loaf of leavened bread in 4,000 BCE. 100 years after that, beer was made for the first time in Mesopotamia from barley, a recipe which incredibly still exists and can still be brewed. In 2500 BCE, the first wild boars were domesticated and turned into what would be eventually the first pigs. 600 years after that, chocolate was made for the first time by the Mayans. Over the next 1,000 years, as people and knowledge spread, all sorts of things were created for the first time, like cucumbers, cauliflower, broccoli, butter, catching and eating cod in Portugal with ships, the invention of cheddar cheese. Potatoes were brought all over the world and were planted for the first times in places like Mexico and Spain. And in 1889, King Umberto of Italy and Queen Margarita of Savoy were visiting the city of Naples. The queen and king were being treated like royals, and they always get treated well, with huge feasts and parties every night. They're rich and noble hosts, sparing no expense to entertain and try and impress the leaders of the country. But one feast ended up giving food poisoning to the queen. Meat that had been left out for too long got her very sick, and when she had finally recovered, she didn't want to eat another feast. She wanted to stay in her room and eat something safe. Something that the locals ate. That Naples was known for. Pizza. The call was placed out to Chef Rafael Esposito, who ran and cooked the best pizza in Naples. At first, he was going to make the queen a complicated pie, with the most expensive ingredients. But a thought struck him that he should simplify it, make it delicious, and also represent the colors of the Italian flag. He used mozzarella for the white, basil for the green, and a fresh tomato sauce for the red. Seeing as the queen and king of Italy couldn't be expected to come to his pizzeria in town, and that they weren't staying too far away, Raphael packed up the pizza and brought it to them personally. The queen loved it so much that he named the pizza after her. So on that one day in 1889, Raphael not only made the first ever margarita pizza, but also completed the first ever pizza delivery.
This episode of Let's Talk About Chef is being brought to you by the New York Times. Right now, you can have access to as many articles as you want online for just $2 a week. $2 for the world's greatest newspaper. The New York Times has been at the forefront of great journalism and the benchmark of free speech and unbiased coverage of the world's events for generations. They are still dedicated to bringing you the best news, stories, editorials, and importantly for me, restaurant reviews, as ever before. And now we can all enjoy the fruits of their labor for only $2. To subscribe to the New York Times for $2 a week, head on over to nytimes.com. And now, back to the show. The first ever menus, that is a piece of paper with a list of what you were about to eat, were created around 1751 for intimate dinners that King Louis of France was hosting at one of his chateaus. These menus were laid on the place setting and listed what the four courses the guests would be eating were. The first ever menu that a guest could order from and that we have talked about before was invented by Auguste Escoffier in London at the Savoy Hotel. Escoffier changed dining forever when he wrote down options for the customers to choose from. Until that point, no one had ever been able to order a dish, have that order go back to the kitchen, and because of Escoffier's intense organization and brilliance, have that dish be made and brought out to you quickly and efficiently. The first ever form of food advertising doesn't come from a radio or television. It actually goes all the way back to the 11th century BCE in ancient China, where jingles would be played in town centers on flutes. So the earliest form of advertising for food was to sell candy to children. The songs would be played that the villagers would recognize and the people would come running, not unlike the idea of the ice cream truck rolling down your street when you were a kid. And speaking of ice cream trucks, the song that was the first to be played out of a speaker to attract customers was and always will be Turkey in the Straw. You know, this song. That is such a nice memory of childhood. But, unfortunately, it turns out that Turkey in the Straw is horribly racist. Turkey in the Straw dates back to the 19th century Ireland, before it became known for selling rocket pops in America, and it comes from the Irish ballad, The Old Rose Tree. When Irish immigrants came to America, they brought that song with them. 
And at some point, the lyrics were changed and the song became known as, and I'm going to warn you right now, this is going to get a little bit uncomfortable. The song became known as Zip Coon. And I'm again going to apologize for the language I'm about to use. History can be messy sometimes. Coon songs were really popular in the United States. They were usually songs that used minstrel caricatures of black people for comedic effect. These songs appeared over ragtime piano and would present an image of a black person as a rural buffoon that would perform acts of drunkenness and sin. Zip Coon, the song that would become Turkey in the Straw, got its name from a blackface character who would usually be performed by American singer George Washington Dixon. His act, and I quote, Dixon would put on blackface, and his most well-known act was to parody a freed black man trying to conform to white high society by dressing in fancy clothes and using big words, unquote. If this isn't awkward and horrible enough to talk about already, and if I haven't made you feel uncomfortable about the childhood memory of chasing that ice cream truck blasting racist songs at you, here's the song Zip Coon. Old Zip Coon, he's a learned scholar. Old Zip Coon, he's a learned scholar. Sings possum up a gum tree and cooney in the holler. Possum up a gum tree, cooney on a stump. Possum up a gum tree, cooney on a stump. Possum up a gum tree, cooney on a stump. Then over double trouble, Zip Coon will jump. Oh, zip a dutton, 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 zip a dutton day. Zip a dutton, 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 dutton day. Zip a dutton, 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 zip a dutton day. Zip a dutton, dutton. Now, if that wasn't bad enough, in 1916, American banjoist and songwriter Harry C. Brown took that old song and put new words to it, and by doing so created the Ice Cream Song, the song that you recognize. A song about ice cream, and everything was fine, and the world became a more wholesome place, and racism isn't real, and people don't suck, and we all lived happily ever after. I really wish that that was the case, but nope, it wasn't called the Ice Cream Song. It was called N-Word Loved a Watermelon Ha Ha Ha. Now, I am not going to play you that song. I found that song, and I found it as a SoundCloud file on an American History Museum website. But it's awful. I listened to about four seconds of it, and I'm not even going to read you the lyrics. I know what you're thinking. It's quite possible that the ice cream truck that drove through your neighborhood did not have Turkey in the Straw playing. It maybe had Camptown Races, or Jimmy Crack Corn, or Whistling Dixie. Well, all of those songs were born as racist coon songs, and all ice cream truck drivers are terrible people. Now, to bring this around, food advertising has come a long way in the last century. With the advent of television and the first ever jingle to be nationally aired and be loved by children everywhere, was this one in the 50s. Never want to be Cause if I were an Oscar Mayer wiener 
Oscar Mayer wieners are all meat, all good meat, rich in complete meat protein, mildly seasoned to bring out all the good meat flavor. Everyone would be in love with me. Next week, you handle just the refreshments, Freddy. The new year is kind of a ridiculous concept. The idea of resolutions, starting new things, all because a day passed on a calendar doesn't really make any sense. In the end, the promise of a new you after the confetti has been vacuumed up and the smoke from the fireworks dissipates is just that, a promise. And it's a hard one to keep. There is an old saying that every passing minute is a chance to turn it all around, and that is true. It's also true that you are capable of doing something for the first time this year. You're capable of change, and you're capable of going down in history for creating something as silly as a pizza to resemble the Italian flag for a queen. I think that the new year is a time for you and me and all of us to realize that, hey, it's okay if we don't keep up with that gym membership. It's okay if we don't invent something. And it's okay if we don't become rich or successful or famous or notorious or whatever it is that drives you to do the things that you do. Nobody is perfect. Nobody has it all figured out. And if they say that they do, they are lying. This new year, this new decade, if anything at all, is a chance. It's a chance to do something that you have always wanted to do. It's a chance to try to become the person you think you want to be. Or it's a chance to just be. Wherever you are, I hope that you are happy. And if you're not, use the excuse of a new year to change that. Don't get stuck. Don't wallow in misery. Get up, get out, and exist. Happy New Year. I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of Let's Talk About Chef. It was written by me and produced, as always, by Timothy McDonald. I want to thank the New York Times and Vincero Watches for letting me talk about them this week. If you want to write into the show, you can reach us by emailing letstalkaboutchef at gmail.com, or you can follow me personally on Instagram at Chef Brian Clark. We are back next Thursday with another brand new episode of Let's Talk About Chef. And so until then, as always, I'm Brian Clark. Have a great service and have a great week. Suddenly everything changed They're spreading blankets on the beach Yours is the first face that I saw I think I was blind before I met you And I don't know where I am, I don't know where I've been But I know where I want to go so I thought I'd let you know Yeah, these things take forever I especially am slow But I realized that I need you And I wondered if I could come home